Good day, everyone. I'm Michael Morgan, host of the 2023 Alzheimer's World Summit. And it's my great pleasure to introduce again a returning speaker for us, uh, Jennifer Fink, who, uh, like many caregivers, you know, they started by getting thrust into this position. She was uh, caring for her mom, and Jennifer was managing a very thriving portrait studio. And then while searching for ways to get a deeper connection with her mom, she started looking into books and scoured the internet for answers. And still unsatisfied by the results, she embarked on a quest to find uh, a podcast uh, brimming with guidance and inspiration. So in late 2017, only one existed, which is very early on. She's been really a pioneer with this. And um, even though it failed to captivate her, she kind of was determined to, to take matters in her own hands, as she did, and birthed her very own uh, podcast, destined to be the motivation she longed for. Six years later, three years post-caregiving, she's still learning excellent uh, caregiving practices. So Jennifer, welcome again. Thank you for having me again. Uh, you you uh, coined a term, or I think it's a, it's a telling term, and she talked about um, emotional endurance. Could you kind of enlighten us a little bit what you mean by that? Definitely. So emotional endurance is the ability to keep moving forward despite tremendous obstacles. We've all heard the phrase, when the going gets tough, the, cuff, the tough get going. That's yeah. easy for me to say. And so that's kind of a slang way of, of stating emotional endurance. And emotional endurance does require resiliency, and resiliency is definitely necessary when we face the challenges of caregiving. And so for those people that are listening for caregivers, and we're so glad we have some experts in this area, how can a caregiver, and I'm just going to say maybe between someone who's taking care of their kids and their parents or their loved one, any combination, how can they begin uh, building this resiliency when things become extremely overwhelming? Love for you to talk about that. Definitely. Well, the first step, and I always, I always recommend this to caregivers, is putting a care team in place. I talk about that a lot on my show, and I have a whole article where I, on my website where I've listed on how to do it. But unfortunately, many of us get thrust into this with, you know, we might be sandwich caregivers. We have, may have careers we're still running, and we, we put some systems and some, and some things in place and the crisis is kind of averted and we just kind of move on, you know, with the misguided belief that, you know, we got this, we, we can manage. So right. what ends up happening is we end up burning out. So we need to be aware of the signs that we're headed towards burnout because once we get to burnout, it's not great. We need to also remember that love won't be the emotional recharge that we think it will be. I mean, I loved my mom, but she was, she was a challenge. So there was days when I just wanted to throw up my hands and walk away, but that obviously didn't solve any problems. And we need to understand that at some point, negative feelings will pop up and having this emotional endurance will help us put them back in check. So understanding that there are many feelings we'll go through and need to manage if we're to survive caregiving mentally and physically. The, I can move on to the steps that we should start with on how to put, um, emo how to make Create emotional endurance. There we go. <laughs> well, let me ask one thing first, because this is something that people may not be aware of. What are these signs of burnout or that you're heading that way? That might be useful for people to know about. Definitely. So we've got, <clears throat> you know, 
restless sleep, unable to just, you know, relax, getting very agitated, getting very frustrated. Essentially, any of the negative emotions that we have, if those are cropping up regularly, you definitely need to take a step back and and take control over the situation. Because obviously, if we're getting frustrated and angry at children or an adult living with Alzheimer's or other dementia, you know, yelling at them is obviously not going to do any good. Um, Especially like with my mom, she got a little bit more combative at the end. And if if I had yelled at her, can only imagine what the situation would be. But if you're also feeling really depressed, like there's no there's no hope left, that you have no life left. I mean, I'm hoping that people are not getting to that point. That's kind of why I like to talk about this topic, because, you know, many people know that my mom had Alzheimer's for 20 years. So I like mm-hmm. to to make the comment you know, this is 2023. If you'd like to uh, rub your crystal ball and tell me what 2043 will look like, you know, I'm all, I'm all ears. Yeah. Um, We have no idea what tomorrow will bring much less next week or five, 10, 10 years from now, especially when we look back at what we've all lived through in the last few years. Sure. It's definitely, it's important to put systems in place to help you help care for them. And, and this is another little aside, too. You mentioned that 20-year time frame. And one of our other speakers, Judy Cornish, talks about what can lead to frustration. So I'm guessing that there's a component sometimes of just kind of like reaching our limit, being frustrated. Like if your mom is a good example, over a 20-year span, when did you start to notice she wasn't quite you weren't communicating quite in the same way. You were kind of missing each other. Was there a point where you realized, oh, wait a minute, she's not understanding me or I'm not understanding her? Is that a fair question? It is. Um, and I have not really contemplated that question exactly in that manner. Yeah. We had a family portrait studio and a one-hour photo lab business yeah. together. And so in 1996, she started taking orders with no due dates or no directions. Yeah. And then, and it was always the day before her day off. So it was very easy to dismiss as, you know, the phone rang, somebody else came in. I mean, you know, we weren't like a crazy busy place, but you know, stuff happens and you get distracted. Right. This, this situation kept getting worse until one day she didn't recognize her own handwriting on yet another order with zero information And I had made the comment, um, you know, I was getting very concerned instead of having daffy moments, you know, once or twice a week, which is typically, you know, very normal mom was having them every day. And she looked at me and said, well, I don't want to end up like my mother turned around and stomped off in a huff. And I thought, well, (laughs) yeah, this is a great situation because I've got two options here. You're going to end up like your mom who had vascular dementia for 15 years or I have to kill you and that's illegal. And I don't think that's a good choice. So that was probably in the early aughts somewhere, but probably 2002, 2003. Yeah. So, you know, and at that point I knew I'd already been monitoring her at, at the, at the shop, the studio, if she was, you know, shooting the breeze with a client and I heard them talking I would go out and say, oh, hey, you know, what are we doing with Judy? 
who, by the way, is a fantastic dementia trainer. I've had her on the show a long time ago, probably mm-hmm. well overdue to do it again. But if she was just shooting the breeze with, say, Judy, I would go out there, pull the order towards me and go, oh, so what are we going to be doing for Judy? You know, kind of like yeah. in a curious, you know, manner, trying to not allude to the fact that I was, you know, basically being a hover caregiver to my mom at her business. Yeah, but yeah. If, I didn't want people to know she was having an issue. Yeah. I didn't want to have to deal with issues she caused. So mm-hmm. that was my role to basically hover and monitor her constantly, which was tricky because um, up until the year two, well, I worked in the back, but if, if prior to 2000, yeah. I worked in the dark room. I did all the enlargements. So I was, in, so, I was behind a closed door in the dark. So I was really in the dark when it came to what really? I was talking about. So, so using your mom as an, a case history, it's kind of like you went from someone you were working with to your mom, maybe not part of the business. And then you starting to caretaking her. Do I have that right? Yeah. I had to like manage her subtly while we had the business together. And for better or worse, my, our lease was up at the end of 2005 and my dad he was done. He determined that the landlords had broken the lease and we could leave early, which, which was good for them. But I was concerned that my mom wasn't going to have um, purpose every day because I knew how important that was. But man, I was really glad to like, I had been building up the business in my own town for like 18 months. I was literally doing both businesses together and I was ready for that. So well, I want to kind of tie it back to steps, caretakers, caveman, but I think it's valuable to share your own experience because you went from like working with mom to then taking care of her. And was there kind of a continuum where you took care of her a little to you had to take care of her more and more and more over time? Well, my dad did 99% of the caregiving as is typical for men, husbands of his yeah. generation. He didn't want my sister and I to help, which was uh-huh. a mistake because I think he ran out of emotional endurance real quick. Okay. Um, right. He was very impatient with her. As we know, people like my mom will ask a question, you answer it. And like two minutes later, they're asking it again. And you're just like, you know, just answered that. And he would be very uh, snappish. He'd be like, and then at what point did you actually start to get more full-time involved in the process after, after he passed away, which and was, that's when, uh, 20, 2017, March of 2017. Oh, so there was quite a span of time where you were still not fully watching, but not fully. Well, once that happened, you kind of got thrust into the more full time. Yep. And, and I the- learned, I learned very quickly that despite having dealt somewhat with my grandmother and, you know, having gone through all the years with my mom, yeah, um, I was seriously clueless on how to engage with her, how to give her quality of life. You know, I, did not know the best practices of caregiving. Yeah. People, people weren't sharing them online like they do now. Well, so that gets us back to like, it's kind of interesting because I think like a lot of people, they learn on the job, so to speak, you know, when they're fully thrust into it. So the dynamic with your with your dad, that's interesting. Then he passed, then there's you. So what does that inform you about? Like if you could tell people now what you knew then or however you want to put it, what steps should caregivers start with then if they're kind of in this somewhere in that continuum? Well, if your person is still cognitive, cognitively able, yeah, talk to them about what they want, how yeah. they how they want 
to be cared for. This is something I learned from a recent past guest. Mm -hmm. Um, She married her husband after his diagnosis with Parkinson's, which I still think is insane, but you know, they, they worked out, worked it out together. She talked about what she needed, what she was afraid of. He talked about what he was, what his fears were and, and how he wanted, you know, he, how he foresaw being cared for. And because they talked about it together, he was a little more um, amenable to the needs, the care that he needed as he, you know, as his disease progressed. Of course, we didn't have that with my mom. She was always saying, I don't want to be a burden to you girls, but I want to live for in my home forever. Yeah, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> yeah. And so it was always I had to make decisions for her, knowing that some of them were not what she wanted, but maybe they were the best thing for her. And that's really hard. It's hard to do that with your child it is 10 times worse with your parent. So one and of the I steps. Go ahead. Well, I just think it's important that I, I've never done an interview where people said, oh, that's the prior thing. Like while you're still able to have an upfront conversation to say, what do I want? What do I need? What do you need? So at least even if they've forgotten, they've had that conversation, they've had it in some way. And that- yeah, and you know what they want. You've, yeah. you've discussed it together. So you've, you're removing a lot of yeah. potential guilt. You know, like yeah. I had, I, I knew while my dad was on hospital, while my dad was in the hospital for a month, mom got bounced around between her sister took care of her in her home, my mom's home. Yeah. My mom stayed with me. My mom stayed with my sister. I mean, even the dog was getting hostile at this point with all this <laughs> bouncing around. Yeah. And there was a poodle, you know, they don't get too hostile generally. And it really became very obvious to me. There was absolutely no way my mom could move in with us. Um, we, I still had my photography studio, which was attached to our house. Um, my daughter had just moved out. I was fully ready for empty nest and moving on to the next chapter of life. And I was not about to tie myself to what I saw as potentially 15 years of not being able to do what I had planned on doing. So I knew my mom was going to memory care. (laughs) She did not want, but you know what? She thrived in memory care. She had friends. She got into mischief. She did things. She was very able-bodied compared to many of the other residents. She walked without any AIDS. So she was always helping the other residents, or at least she yeah. thought she was. So she really had a purpose and she would have had none of that if she had lived with us. But it still now, made me feel guilty whenever right. there was a dust up at the memory care. Somebody was, you know, being typical of a person living with a disease of the brain you know, I was like, uh, you know, I know my mom didn't want this, but uh, it so, was hard. So, um, Jennifer, in terms of wherever somebody is on the continuum, whether they're in the early stage, middle or late, what steps, once they become aware, they, they need to do something, which might be a little further on, unfortunately, but what steps should they take to at least kind of like put some structure in things? Well, first off, when we're talking about emotional endurance, you want to give yourself credit. You're really doing a job likely unpaid. You probably didn't ask for it. You're not trained to do it and you really don't want to be doing it, but here you are doing it. So give yourself a mental gold star for every accomplishment you tackle. You know, they get to a point where they're incontinent or they need help in the bathroom. None of us want to deal with that. And if you manage to get through a unpleasant bathroom scenario without gagging, you know, give yourself a little pat on the back. 
Yeah. We don't do that enough is giving ourselves credit. And I think that really helps when you, at the end of the day, you can sit back and say, you know, what am I grateful for? But also, you know, what should I be proud of myself for? I got through right. today without losing my stuff. Right. You know, I, I handled a difficult situation better than I thought I would have, whatever it is. You know, you got all your to-do list, you threw away your to-do list, whatever it is, give yourself credit. And, and along with the emotional endurance piece, which is key, practically, how can caregivers, can they plan about having other resources so they don't have to carry all the load themselves or what? Well, so here's my, I can give a quick rundown on how you, how you put a care team in place. The earlier you do this, the better, but this is, this is my quick technique that I also learned from another podcaster whose family took care of grandma and grandma's sister who had never been married or had children. Okay, go ahead. So you want to write down all the, all the tasks you have to do today to have your household function. Then you're going to add to it what you have to do every week, anything that has to be done monthly, throw in the random doctor's appointments, hair appointments, whatever. And now you've got a list of all of the responsibilities in addition to caring for somebody with this challenging disease. Your second list is going to be everybody you know. They do not have to live near you. They don't even have to be in the same state. Write them all down. Write down, this is the key, write down what you think their best skill is in relationship to helping you. For example, please do not ask Jen here to call insurance companies or banks. I cannot stand it. They ask me questions I think are stupid and I immediately get irritated and frustrated and just, you know, just not, not in a, in a position to deal with them. But if you need, you know, meals that you can throw in a crock pot, you need some tasty, reasonably healthy baked goods. You need somebody to drive you around. You need somebody to come walk with you, take the dog for a walk and your person for a walk. I'm your gal. Just please don't ask me to call the insurance company. All right. I can't stand that. And so now when Jen comes up to you and says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. Is there anything I can do to help you have an answer? And the answer is not, oh, thank you. I I got this. It's okay. No, you know, hey, Jen, it would really be helpful if you could come over once a week and take mom and the dog to the dog park. I gotcha. I will do that. And the person won't feel sucked in. They won't feel like you're asking them to do things they're not comfortable with. They're, you know, they're like, oh, hey, I I take like my dog and I are going to the dog park this afternoon. I could pick up my neighbor and their dog and take them with us. No big deal. You just make it really easy for somebody to help you. And then let me ask you a tough question. I don't know if we (laughs) talked about this before. Do you have in your criteria any kind of a saying or any kind of an awareness of, okay, when's enough enough? When do we have to transition to memory care? Is there any kind of like formula or, or where to put that so you kind of know in the back of your mind? Um, no. Also, again, I actually had a, an entire podcast episode on this topic. When when you know it's time to step aside, it's all definitely very personal. But you need to analyze how you feel about things. Like I was not the least bit interested in all of the personal care needs for my mom. Like I did not want to have to be responsible for showering her. I seriously didn't want to deal with any of the toileting issues. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I didn't have to deal with that 99% of the time because she was in memory care. 
but you also have to look at how this care is affecting your life. Yeah. You know, if you are starting to get to the point where your emotional endurance techniques are no longer working, you need to take a serious evaluation and say, right. you know, if, if, if this, if this is going to be another five years, can I manage? And if the answer is no, then you better start putting some serious bricks in place to shore up that wall of care. All right. And that's unfortunately not easy. You might, I mean, not everybody can afford memory care. Not all memory care places are great. I got very lucky with mom. They, they let her keep her dog for the first half, the first, she yeah. was there for three years. So the first 18 months she was there, she had her dog. And when they said she could keep her dog, I was like, here's money. Take the deposit. <laughs> I didn't do any research check to see if there was any lawsuits or were they, you know, yeah, they licensed. I mean, pfft, nope, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you another question, which is a little on the other end of it. There's some of us that feel that we maybe could slow the progression of Alzheimer's, stop it, even bring it the other way. So for an overwhelmed caregiver, as they're putting a team together, how can they possibly integrate that? Knowing that what they mostly heard is that, well, it's all bad news. If there's a possibility something could help them, even slow it down or make it better, how do you integrate that piece into the puzzle? Well, we definitely know that daily exercise is important for all of our health, but it's especially beneficial for maintaining cognitive health. Right. You know, heart health is brain health and brain health is heart health. So, you know, for better or worse, <laughs> exercise should be something we do on a regular basis. Yeah. So you, sh as a caregiver, you should just maybe put into your schedule you know, five days a week where you and your, the person you're caring for take a walk, you know, maybe in the earlier stages, you can, you can do simple um, strength exercises with resistance bands, or you could do some chair yoga or, you know, run around, play with the kids. You know, if they're, if there are grandchildren available, which that's not. So you can good. actually maybe put it in your schedule. So it's not like another extra diet. Yeah, and or you could talk about exercise or diet or massage or cranial or anything. If it's set as part of routine, to me, it means for the psychology of the caregiver, it's not yet another thing they have to deal with, right? Right. You're taking care of yourself, but you're also helping, you know, care for yeah. the person that, you know, you're, you're, the care you're giving them is maybe, maybe five star instead of four. Yeah. And it, you know, and being out in nature, like taking a walk is like, that's actually really beneficial. And there are ways you can take walking and make it even more cognitively challenging. And you could do this with somebody, even if they're in the later stages of the disease, you know, take a walk and, and find all the things that start with P or whatever, or, yeah, you know, count by fours or something. I'm no good at math, so I don't really think of those things, but you can, even if you have a conversation while you're walking, now your brain is, you know, keeping you moving forward. It's keeping you balanced and it's answering these questions. So you're kind of challenging your brain just by mm -hmm. walking and talking with a friend or your, your spouse or whoever. Well, and finally, this is kind of bridging into this area too. Like, um, why is it important for us to take of ourselves first or equally as a caregiver? <laughs> well, when I first started my podcast, the statistic was that 30% of caregivers would pass away before the person they're caring for. Mm -hmm. 
Well, unfortunately, we're going backwards because that statistic is now 50% of caregivers will pass away before the person they're caring for. And if you're over 65, you have a 70% chance of passing away before the person you're caring for. So if that is not a clue that caregiving is extraordinarily stressful, emotionally, physically, mentally, I think it's, I think caring for somebody with Alzheimer's or other form of dementia is about the most stressful in every sense of the word thing we Mm -hmm. can do. And most of us do it because we love the person who has the disease. And so if you don't want to be like my family where nobody ever discussed what would happen when, if my dad passed away before mom, his health was not great. Um, he was much more interested in pharmaceuticals than holistic healing. And uh, don't get me started on the multiple drugs that he was on that probably didn't help. But, you know, I found out after he was on hospice that he just assumed my mother would come live with me. And I was like, oh, hell no. So, you know, it's like, don't do that to your family. Take care of yourself. You know, nobody else is going to do it for you. And isn't it interesting that some of the same things you might do to care for your loved one could help with you as well. It's like in a walk or getting some, you know, memory work or cranial or whatever. It's like maybe all those that would help the caregiver too, right? Yeah, you should, you know, one of the things I always suggest to people is, you know, carve out five minutes a day for yourself to just go sit in the corner, read a book, have a nice cup of tea, you know, maybe do an adult coloring book, something that relaxes you and rejuvenates you, even if it's only for five minutes, once you get five minutes into your schedule, you know, locked into your schedule, then maybe you can, you know, move it to 10 minutes, but there are also things, relaxing things you can do, you know, with the person you're caring for, you know, adult coloring. Um, I actually love to make handmade cards and there's some, there's some things in my crafting process that my mom might've been able to do. Now, my mom was always afraid that she was going to do it wrong. And I could not convince her that wrong was not an option. And he was like, just do it. It's like, you can't do this wrong either. Well, do that's, it. that's an interesting little kernel that it's not just taking care of yourselves. Everyone kind of thinks about being away, but you might do it, be able to do it with them and actually get some relaxation Yeah, and, and recovery do, as well. Yeah. If you do something that brings you joy and relaxation and yeah happy and content. I mean, that's a pretty nice scenario. It is. Um, finally, how many, how much, how can people find out more about emotional endurance? Like what you do? (laughs) Well, I talk about it quite a bit on the show. I do have an article that I wrote for my website, um, which is fading memories, podcast.com apologies for the giant (laughs) web address. (laughs) Um, you know, you can always email me. My email is attached to my my show and to the website. So you can always find me at yeah. hello at fadingmemoriespodcast.com. And there's there's a lot more books and stuff about it, but I just like having conversations. It's much easier to, I think it's easier to absorb the information when you're hearing yeah. it and then you put it into practice versus yeah. I think when we read things, sometimes we try to regurgitate it verbatim because i think that's what we're taught in school and we'll have on our website how people can find out more about what you're doing yeah generally i never do this but here's a little summary this is very nice how you put this emotional endurance having prior conversations if possible giving yourself credit 
getting a care team or, uh, uh, caretaker team in place, using that caretaker team to also help you as a, th- as a caretaker as well as them, setting aside things that might help them in their healing process, and then finally having some awareness of when transition can occur um, and taking care of yourself. So uh, Jennifer, thank, thank you for talking about creating and maintaining emotional endurance. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.